0: Hello, I'm Simon Rimmer and this is Grilling, the podcast brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues, in which we get up close and personal with some of the best chefs in the business. Now, amongst those who've already joined me, Angela Hartnett, Michelle Rue Jr., Marcus Waring and Tom Kerridge, to name but a few. All their stories are different and we explore these stories in depth, finding out where they discovered their passion for food and how they channeled that passion into succeeding at the very highest level. We also discuss outdoor cooking, course, and how to get the best out of your barbecues. Now today, I'm grilling one of the most larger-than-life characters in our industry, the inimitable Richard Corrigan. Born in County Meath, Richard studied at Dublin's Institute of Technology before working for several years in the Netherlands. He then started chefing in London, winning his first Michelin star while heading up the kitchen at Stephen Ball in 1994. He now has several esteemed establishments of his own, including Bentleys, Virginia Park Lodge, and Corrigan's in Mayfair. Lord Corrigan, welcome. Thank you, Simon. So, let's go back to the start then. So, what what was growing up like for you? Where were we, and and how was the family set up? Uh, A small cottage
1: in the country, uh, very near the big wetlands of Mead-Westmead borders, uh, hunting uh, every autumn, winter, Sunday. All the people come to the house, probably around ten of us dogs and out hunting uh, foxing pheasants whatever flu and it was always for the pot it was always for the pot for the next day
0: yeah so it was never kind of a a sport per se it was a sport
1: sporting shooting is something I never heard of until I came to England really I'll be honest with you rough shooting so how Uh, young were you when you started doing that uh, probably um, nine nine ten and how how big's the family Uh, seven of us uh, three uh, four brothers and three sisters and where do Uh, you sit I said a uh, third from the top, uh, yeah. John and Anne-Marie and uh, probably a little bit spoiled, maybe. Who knows? You know what I mean, really? <laughs> uh, and ma'am, ma'am, you know, just a housemaker, a homemaker, baker, cook, you know what I mean? In yeah, the country style. I mean, nod family, you know what I mean? The brisket went in before kind of uh, Sunday mass yeah. and it came out at two o'clock like Chinese Peking bloody uh, <laughs> b- beef and we'd eat, we'd eat steak rare. I yeah. mean, we never overcook steak in the house. It's an oddest thing that I just... Dad would always cook the steak on a cast iron pan. And it'd be a bit of round steak. It'd be never sirloin or rump or anything, yeah. really. It'd be always round or something. So, you know, mince mince would be probably twice a, twice a week in the house, like everyone else in the 1970s. You know what I mean? And Dad cooked as well. Because, like, my dad
0: cooked. And I think that growing up in the 70s, that was quite unusual
1: yeah because he was a kind of hunter-gatherer type look you know what i mean so he'd be out with a cast iron pan he was famous for this big cast iron pan you know what i mean before we ever seen a trendy one from sweden my dad had one (laughs) and uh, most people in the countryside had them as well and of course you know when you're out hunting and uh, fishing you always cook for yourself so, you know, I mean, there's nothing like a young rabbit just, just shot, you know what I mean, really, and just thrown onto a pan. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to rest it for a week, guys. You know what I mean? And it's still probably the tastiest morsels that would come straight to my head is young rabbits just cooked on the pan there and then till the outside of them is really roasty, crispy. Yeah. Oh, my God. it's Lovely, lovely, lovely. Eat them like sweet
0: corn. Just pick them up and eat them off the bone. <sighs> no. It's a thing... It's a horrible cliche, but you always kind of look at your childhood and the question that we always seem to ask ourselves is, so were you poor, were you rich, were you wealthy, were you somewhere in the middle? I ah, no, I'll be honest with you.
1: Just, I, I, I never knew what a middle-class person was until I came to England, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know what I mean, really? I've never seen so many fancy cars in all my life. i never seen wealth like it in all my life. And I thought, God, I wouldn't mind having some of this. <laughs> Like any good immigrant, any country. I, I love some of that, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I'll work those hours you guys don't want to work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, what, and what were you like at school? Good? Bad? Ah, I wasn't really. I
1: was dyslexic, uh, which, uh, you know... We you me? diagnosed
0: You're... with that? Because, I mean, in the 70s... I was, yeah, I
1: was, yeah, I was. And... Of course, you know what I mean. In the in the old days, you may be near to stand in the corner with a bag on your head. Now that didn't happen to me, but it was damn near it in many cases. You know right. what I mean. So I end up having a really good memory. You know what I mean, and and always kind of you know couldn't you know I mean numbers numbers I'm not great at. You know what I mean. Really, I'm, this is so odd. You know what I mean. Here I, but I'm quicker than my counting and putting things together in my business. Well, so you, you, you substitute everything. In life, you know, there's a formal education, almost this Greek way of learning everything and, you know, by process and all of that. And that's great for people. That's great for so many people who want to fit into accountancies and be solicitors and going to universities and all of that. But I was always quite creative. You know what I mean? My my head was always wandering, wandering, wandering in the the wild berries, hedge groves, the wetlands, you know what I mean, curlews, corn crakes, uh, pheasants. That is where my head still is. It hasn't changed. London hasn't destroyed us. I haven't got lost up my own rear end thinking, you know what I mean? I live in a five million home in Kensington. You know what I mean? Really, (laughs) you know, no. But really, Simon, you know what I mean? Money can destroy people. So, you know, I, I like the idea of money to 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 make a company better, to to do things with. But you know what I mean? If you just want to drive around in a Ferrari or a Porsche. Yeah. You know what I mean? With a pair of fucking 500 pound sunglasses. You know, what I mean. give me a break. You know what I mean? I'm a farmer's son at heart. Never changed. Nothing. Nothing. Look at me. My wife said, Would you look at yourself? You know what I mean? I am really happy being a boy from the country in the in the in these big in these big smokes. Nothing will change me. I, I, you know, my, my approach to food has always been the same. You know what I mean? Why bother? You know what I mean? Really another recipe from a book uh, when I uh, go to some places, yeah. you know, if anything, I do another recipe from a really good chef. Now that's, that's, that's a good <laughs> way to Nick uh, something, you know, but you know, it's, it's no one is, no one is a genius. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything has been picked up. Uh, some people, you know, have a much more creative flair about doing things. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, one of my favorite, always my favorite cooks in London, still are in many ways the Alistair's cranky old bastard that he is, I'll be honest with you, <laughs> Roly Lee intelligent, bright, cranky old bastard. Simon Hopkinson, intelligent, bright, cranky old bastard. So, you know what I mean? Really, we're all heading for the same uh, situation, the whole lot of us. You know what I mean? Really. Memories, I mean, cranky old bastards,
0: basically. <laughs> but when you, that, that whole thing, I imagine you you would always be popular at school because, I mean, I've known you a long time and already you kind of shown it, like, you know, you're a great storyteller, and you're a great person. The stories are real. That's, a, you know,
1: that's what makes it, because I love people. I've yeah. always liked people, uh, you know what I mean? I've always been drawn to people. I, I just like people who have something to give. Yeah. I'm not drawn to people who just suck you dry. Yeah, I I'm, I'm. I'm always drawn to people with anywhere different, creative, uh, or, or have another opinion, you know what I mean? Just not be really my opinions. But I like people who are really confident of who they are, what they are, and have a really kind of eccentric, creative uh, touch. You know what I mean? I can name my buddies in many ways. Alan Parker, who we don't meet every year. He was a Royal Academy student, an amazing guy, a folklorist, an Englishman who knew more about folk music on the East Coast of England Uh than most English people. And he put us all to shame. You know what I mean? Really? Yeah. I uh, could tell you that the, 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 comings and goings is very soak, folk song written in uh, Ireland and England you know, a Morris dancer, you know what I mean? So, you know, um, Mark Needham and a guy I met in Amsterdam, you know, father was a commander in the Royal Navy. You know what I mean? Mark was this kind of just cool English hippie uh, bloke that introduced me to books and music and, you know what I mean? So that's what's important in life, to meet the right people at your different stages to keep you on that upward, elevating, creative thinking mode.
0: And and that's exactly what we do. I remember the first time I met you. And you are, like I say, you're an incredibly charismatic person, but you're also, in a nice way, quite a terrifying person when you first meet you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a serious bloke behind it all. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I do like a, you know what I mean? I, you know, I do like, I, I do like enjoyment, but my attitude is very Dutch. You get up to work in the morning. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there is a kind of a a Germanic kind of nutcase kind of sitting around in there. You know what I mean? I probably was in my early days in the kitchen. I, I, I honest <laughs> God, I mean, I really needed a, I needed help. Probably, you know what I mean, really.
0: <laughs> well, let's let's do that. <laughs> so how, did it start? how did you start in kitchens? How did I start? I got a,
1: I got a summer job. Basically, I was, I was really going nowhere in in, in the vocational schools. Really, uh, my first school I went to was a convent. I'll be honest with you, and I was, I always had a bit of an entrepreneurial streak in me, right? And the convent was the Sisters of Mercy, right? because they didn't have any fucking mercy. I'm going to be honest with you, they were the most <laughs> ruthless, <laughs> ruthless penguins you'd ever come across in your life. Uh, re, uh, that was an app boy county meet. you know what I mean? And of course, they used to do the leather strap in those days, yeah. you know, on the hands, you know what yeah. I mean? So I went to that school and of course, you know, there was in those days you could sell cigarettes by the, in the individual, you know what I mean? I was yeah. always out to make uh, something. I, I'd be good at selling cigarettes or anything like that that was going on. <laughs> And uh, I think we were caught smoking something underneath uh, the oil tank. that was the end of it for me in the school. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as bold as brass. I just, How old are you then? Oh God, I'm what was it, twelve, thirteen, thirteen? Was right, I twelve, thirteen. Yeah. And uh, as bold as brass, I just, I just got my bag. Didn't tell my parents I'd got expelled, and I went to the next school down the town, which is the the tech or the vocational yeah. school. And uh, I just went. To, I just just arrived in for a class. <laughs> <laughs> and that just shows you the kind of the neck and the, 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 the devil may care attitude. You know what I mean, really? And, uh, and, and with that time, I had a part time job as well, Simon. I had a part time job on a big farm uh, called Parkstown House uh-huh. in, in Beliver County. Made an amazing guy, I'll be honest, Frank Joyce, mother was from Yorkshire. Uh, but you know these kind of you know, l- you know large kind of brilliant farmers at their time. You know what yeah. I mean. I out taking soil samples at kind of five in the morning yeah. when everyone else was in bed sleeping. You know what I mean. I mean amazing yeah. bright. Yeah, and I uh, you know and I had a part time job at Franklin on the massive dairy farm that I had. And I loved it because you used to be able to get up in these massive machines that come in from England, like Sanderson forklifts. I'll be honest yeah. with you, and just drive around in like some like uh, my go-karts, you know what I mean? On Sunday morning, you know. So I really, I, I, I loved it, and you can get up in any tractor, you know, massive Ferguson's, you know, hundred, two hundred horsepower things or whatever. And it gives you great confidence, believe it or not, to be able to drive anything like that at that age, because uh-huh. it makes you feel you can do anything. Nothing is, you know. Yeah.
0: Uh, do you also think it makes you. It, crushes you into an adult world <sighs> that suddenly you, you're kind of doing some responsibility go, as well Yeah, and the, the the fun of it
1: kind of messing around for a while soon stops when you get your first bollock and basically for misbehaving with a machine yeah. you know what I mean then you say "Ooh, I better be careful you know what I yeah mean? and then you realize that you know you you have a few kind of near misses or something against a tree or something you say "Ooh, babe learn quickly learn quickly but what it does do it it's it gives you amazing confidence when you're just kind of, you know, doing that whole school thing and you're not getting A plus, A plus results. All of a sudden you're doing something, you're getting paid really well for it. You're, you're learning much and there's so much creativity stuff going on, you know what I mean? And, and workloads and graft and, you know, I thought, I love this. You know what I mean? I remember going on a school trip to, because my parents weren't wealthy, so you know what I mean? A school trip to France in those days, I think, I think it was 70 old Irish pounds or yeah. something like that to go on that school trip. I remember just going to my, my pocket. I'm, I'm, I was no more than 12 or 13 and yeah. rolling off 70 pounds and just paying the teacher yeah. at the top of the class. Yeah. I tell you what, that, that's, that's why. If anyone ever asks you, why are you successful? Well, if you have that attitude in your head, I yeah. pay for everything. You know what I mean? I stand on my own two feet. Yeah. I buy my shoes. I buy my clothes. Uh, you know what I mean? It, yeah. you, you learn quickly. You're growing up quickly and you're out in the world much quicker. I mean, no offense, my kids, you know what I mean? Jessica and Richie. You Robbie, I'd love them
0: dearly. But you know what I mean? God bless me. You know same. what I mean? I, really? Th- I, I th- mean, God bless me. And have you we... worry what you know, what 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 have we created? Um, and I suppose yeah. as as boys from similar but different backgrounds, you kinda go, I never had the opportunity to eat it and I wanted my yeah. kids to have those opportunities. But you still go <sighs> Maybe you need to have to graft a bit harder for it all Yeah, you know what I
1: mean So, I mean, that is the problem with anyone that has made it themselves They yeah. always overindulge their children uh, You know what I mean, and everything And because really a lot of people can't enjoy their own success that yeah. have personally made it themselves. Yeah, There's no question about it, yeah. you know what I mean? Really, it's not even about money. Yeah, uh, but so therefore you spread it around, you know what I mean? Yeah, you, you know, you live in a nice place and yeah. your kids go to great schools and you, you know what I mean? You've just uh, uh, turned around your whole own personal life and created something that by which, by the way, it's not necessarily very comfortable for most people from the country or from very little to to you know what I mean really I mean did I did I ever think for one moment I'd be living in Muswell Hill or you know yeah. what I mean really I mean not a bloody chance you know what I mean really it was it was a touch cottage it was a countryside and by the way I love still the countryside And I love the people in the countryside yeah it's not like I've left the countryside. You know, I've indulged myself in this urban, urban, the, 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 as the English would like to say, what class are you? No, almost yeah, years yeah, yeah. ago. That's you know it. what I yeah. mean? Yeah. You know? And I was always happy to say, you know, I was a peasant from the country or a working class guy. <laughs> I still am a working class guy. Yeah. I don't want to be anything else. I don't want to be
0: uh, something made up. You know but what I, I mean? I think what you said very early on is the fact that you, in your head, you've never left. The countryside, pheasants, and hedgerows, and blah, 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 it's still in your head. It's and I think it's that makes a massive load of sense to me. That because that every time I see you, there, there is that whole thing. I mean, <laughs> don't take this wrong way, but I think you're a beautiful caricature of that whole kind of yeah, genre. And, and by the way, there's
1: there's there's plenty of that in the countryside. There's yeah. always a, a sense of mischief in the countryside, a sense of fun. Yeah. Because people are not just having to get into their office car every morning and just say uh, uh, three hours. Now, that was in those days. I'm sure people are doing it all the commutes now into Dublin and everywhere else, the big commute of life. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, if I decided I'm not coming in the morning, I don't have to come in the morning. You know what I mean? I love that freedom. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's something I've always... Talk to your tribe. Being self-employed is worth a million bucks a year. God, yeah. I agree. Before you earn it or you ever get there, have if you ever manage to get to 50 grand, yeah. just remember being your own person, doing your own thing is worth a million pounds a
0: year. Did you always want to be self-employed? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I became unemployable. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. I became unemployable because it was always... You know, in the hotel section, in the hotels uh, that I worked in, you know what I mean. There was, you know, I got to kind of chef societ quite young, twenty two, chef garmanche. I was 23, twenty three, yeah. twenty. You know, and that was in the Meridian here in London. Yeah. So I ran teams. You know what I mean? Because I live in the Netherlands and I had teams there. And yeah. You know what I mean? I I, I don't mind leading people. You know what I mean? I mean, once we're organised yeah. and we're off, we go and we get a job
0: done. And you know, I just I've always enjoyed that part. I think from a very early age. So my dad. Uh, when he worked was a metallurgist so he, he worked as a, as a scientist fundamentally never really liked it he was sort of like went down that route because his sort of parents couldn't do my dad wanted to be a carpenter yeah no, right uh, and he used to make furniture right so so my dad always said to me he goes oh you know if I had my time again I'd never work for anybody I'd never work for yeah, myself yeah. and I remember being probably 12 13 thinking that's me and I've never had a job I've only ever, give or take, I've had part-time jobs, and okay, you know, I'm employed by various people, but I'm my own boss, and I can, and I, and. I do love that feeling. Yeah, it's a great feeling. By yeah, the way. it I mean, really, really I, is. It's a
1: great feeling. So, you know, I've, yeah, I, I just think you, you, you know, there's like working for the Amazons or the Googles of this world. You know what I mean? I, as much as I love them coming into my businesses and all yeah. of that and the, uh, all of that, I just couldn't imagine it. I couldn't Same. imagine the Orwellian, the Orwellian robotic attitude to coming to work you know what i mean yeah. getting your stamps and tick tock tick tock earn your pension yeah yeah i yeah. mean oh, oh no. jesus I'm, you know what i mean same. anything with the pension that comes as with a job title and a pension yeah run
0: <laughs> <laughs> i agree right So what was your first job? First job in in hospitality and how did it happen?
1: My first job in hospitality was working in a kitchen in the Kerwin Arms in Athboy, County Mead, which was a local, very busy hotel, rural, country town hotel that would shock you, the business levels it was doing. Yeah. Uh, Why? It was a summer job and it was a summer job that ended up a full-time job.
0: Yeah. And did you have that thing that we probably all of us in hospitality have? That first day you go, God, I love this. Can I be totally frank with you? Yeah.
1: I think I was so knackered after the first day because I went in in the morning and I yeah. think I finished at 11 at night. Yeah. I went, the only thing that could come into my head about equipped me to a chef because it was the first time I'd seen a professional was the chef figure on a bottle of sauce. Chef sauce it used to be this little schmig <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. and the beard. Yeah. For something, memories, that night I was going home, I was so exhausted and tired. Yeah. that That face just kept coming into my head. <laughs> You know what I mean? (laughs) For some, and still does to many cases as as the first, a chef. You know what I mean? That was the first memory of a chef. Strangely enough, I got up the next morning and I went in, it was a summer job and it went from there. And then you made the characters and the fun and how busy you were. And that summer rolled on quicker than any other summer that I ever remember. And we had fun, we had laughter, and I thought, my God, you know what I mean? I, I like this, and I never went back to school.
0: That world of hospitality, I think you meet the most amazing <coughs> people. You You are cheek by jowl with people that you... Don't think you have anything in with but that thing about being a team and being responsible and that delight of kind of putting something on a plate and it comes back and the plate's clean. There's something magical about it. And that never ends. There was a a, a very good chef there, a,
1: a chap called Ray Vaughan. And Ray had travelled the world on the ships on the on the big ocean liners and all of that. Yeah. And I think before that he was in the merchant navy in the probably fifties and then went to, as a chef and then went into the liners. And then traveled. He was a great baker, patisserie guy. So, you know what I mean? You should see him knocking up Christmas cakes with all the beautiful intricate pastillage work and all of that. Yeah. So there was there was something of 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 yesteryear about part of it. And then there was another part of it was just hard work and graft. You know what I mean? Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought this is magic. There's creative side, there's work side and there's a very brilliant leader in the kitchen uh, ray and who who t- you know who I got on really well with as a figure of authority and whatever yeah. because he was incredibly fair incredibly fair and decent and I think that's all you can ask for I think when you start yeah. your first job that you meet that person that inspires you to stay at the job
0: that you've end up doing for 35 or 36 years yeah i i agree i think there's something about i I've always sort of said within Within my businesses, that if you can create disciples on a on a very kind of like grandiose level, God, that's then, a good title. I yeah,
1: create disciples. Then, yeah, you know, <laughs> Simon then you're really Newton. kind of getting it. You know, oh, what I mean? love it. Yeah, I might I might use that somewhere. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean the, but the, you you have, to, have, we have thing. Thing. but we have created our disciples. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's there's Mike Lynch who's been with us twenty years in the company from Yancy yeah. House. There's Fiona Hannan. There's uh, Owen Cochran, The whole baking team, Yancy House. Yeah. I mean, it goes on and on and on. You need certain people that you know does their job so bloody well they make you look good. Yeah. And they have always been around one way or the other. And I am just a chap who's pulling strings, who who has a kind of cantankerous view of menus and what's in season. And when I see tomatoes in, on a menu in late September and I go, oh, God almighty, what the hell? <laughs> and by the way, I mean, I mean, really, it annoys me more than anything. I just think, yeah. you know, OK, it's the last of the tomatoes last week. Yeah, we all know we have a few in the tunnels. Yeah. But you know what I mean? You know, heritage yeah. tomatoes and all that, you know what I mean? It's all nice. Let's enjoy yeah. them. Let's enjoy them during, you know, um, July and August and in, early in, September in my... and then we move
0: on, you know? In my head, by the way, I've now got a, a tableau in my head of, of uh, the, that famous Last Supper painting you <laughs> you sitting in the centre of Jesus Christ and your disciples are now yeah. around you. And I'm trying to figure who's Judas Iscariot. The yeah. <laughs> There's always one. There's always one that comes up and says,
1: thank you, chef, but I'm just going around the corner. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. At the wrong time, just wrong before time, yeah. Christmas. Yeah? And I'm taking two other lads. Yeah. Oh my ar- God. Ar- <laughs> so, right.
0: you know, do, 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 do one, one of the things that uh, when i was sort of researching you you ended up going to the netherlands how why what ireland i left ireland and i left
1: ireland in late was it mid or late 82 Mm -hmm. ireland was a strange and effed up place during that time right it was post the hunger strikers the country was in a bit of a place bad place you know what I mean? There was a heavy cloud sitting all over Ireland then. You know what I mean? Really? Yeah. I mean, what you wouldn't have seen is in England, you'd have seen the ITV and the news. Yeah. But all of that crisis spread out from the north down into the across the border, into those southern counties of, you know, Loud, Cabin, Monaghan, Mead. I'm from Mead. So yeah. we were on that uh, on that area. So don't tell me all that didn't affect us down there. You know what I mean? Of course it did. You know what I mean? Really? And I just thought, I have to get out of here. I really, you know what I mean? I just felt, you know what I mean? Jesus, man, this burden. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's never, these troubles are going to go on and on and on. How come people can't just fucking sit around a table? And you know what I mean? And I went off to uh, to one thing and the other, I got a job because there was a Dutch, F&B manager in the Park Hotel in Kinsale. I think one of the people I was working with knew them very well or whatever. And I got a job in Amsterdam in a Trust House 40 hotel. It was at the time what? it was uh, Rocco 40. Yeah. under uh, owned it at that time. It was called the uh, Apollo Hotel, which was a beautiful hotel on uh, a Canal Basin. You know, five star, beautiful boutique yeah. operation. And I went in there and the chef there, Ludwig Briolas. Now, this is the other thing. I still talk to every month and he's in his 80s. You're his disciple. I always talk to Ludwig. He yeah. lives in Rotterdam now. He's the most wonderful, wonderful Greek, German uh, guy who, yeah. who's ended up living yeah. in the Netherlands. And Ludwig was the most beautiful person to work with. Most generous, lovely um, um uh, inspiring. You know what I mean? And he, I he used to get me stages here and stages there. And yeah. you know what I mean? And and he didn't want to lose me because he knew probably straight away I ain't staying around here. Yeah. So you know I was I was living. How a, long? How long did you stay there? Oh for? my God! Altogether, Amsterdam, and Rotterdam, must be what? God, it must be eighty-two, 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 say 86. and I came back five years, over five years. Which now. is a long time in our industry. It's a huge time. Yeah, I'll be honest, such a a huge time, and I worked in Amsterdam. Yeah, uh, I came back up to Amsterdam. I started in Amsterdam. I went down to Rotterdam. I lived. I always one thing about living there. I always had a decent. In Rotterdam, I lived in Delfshaven, right across the Pilgrim's Church, which uh-huh. is the oldest part of Rotterdam that the Germans didn't manage to blow to smithereens <laughs> when they when they levelled the city. You know what I mean, really. Yeah. And in Amsterdam, I lived outside of the town in a place called Alsmeer, uh-huh. which is the big flower market area. You know, right, outside yeah. the town, largest yeah. flower market in Holland, Alsmeer de Broek. And I must say, I really, really enjoyed it. I got to know a lot of great Dutch chefs. I've seen the emergence of of kind of post nouvelle kind of real food the uh, the The farm markets were just opening in Holland that time the Venn yeah. markets, which was these covered in artisan operations with the cheesemonger the fishmonger, and all of that where restaurants would go to buy from yeah I thought that was that was that was long before anything happened in here, yeah. Uh, first time I've seen snail eggs. You know what I mean, and all of the best of the different layers of foie gras and all of that, and the different quality of eel, smoked eel, and did it feel almost out with that there because
0: of because your
1: something hit me that time when I seen those things operational that yeah. quality of food that individual it was almost like yeah. a, a farm a farm
0: quality uh for sale to the restaurant business. That's, so that's exactly common... what I was going to say that you know because your background was hunter gathering, yeah. it's almost it you know, was it, yeah. w- it absolutely was and.
1: I, I really enjoyed it. And there was a big movement there at that, that time. You know what I mean? I'll tell you what I was like. I never really wanted to go work in those big kitchens yeah. like the hotel, the Europe in Amsterdam. You know, when you look down over the waterline, you see the kitchens. In yeah. those days, all the little chefs would have their little hats on, yeah. their little baker hats on and all that. That never really was the place I wanted to be. I wanted to be in the smaller kitchens. You know yeah. what I mean? The smaller kitchens, working here, working there, moving down to Rotterdam living life reading always got a library card where i was living you know in mean? rotterdam i just joined the bibliotheque and i started educating myself and reading and just understanding things. Reading what What were you reading everything i'll be honest from you know what i mean you know i've always been a great great interest in orwell so you know what i mean i read 1984 in 84 you know what yeah. i mean uh, you know, The Road to Wigan Pier, you know, down, yeah. the Homish Catalonia, down and out in London and Paris, And you know, then you do, you know, Catch 22, which is the most beautiful satirical book you Fantastic could ever say. Yeah. It's an amazing book, but yeah. you laugh. Yeah. And then, you know, you go on to things like the Irish side of things, you know, Flann O'Brien or Miles in the Gopaline in Gaelic, you know what I mean, who was a columnist in the Irish Times and a, and, and, and or, or a civil servant. I forget which one it was he. But no, he had a column in the Irish Times. He was a civil servant and uh, with a bit of a drink problem. But, you know, that kind of tied up life of civil service, he wrote these amazing dorky archives, Third Policeman and uh, uh, The Poor Mouth on Vale Viacht, The Poor yeah. Mouth, which honestly, I read that book. I would not allow myself to read more than Probably five or six pages every day because it was such. It's almost Russian in its in its thinking format. You know? Yeah, it's brilliant. It's funny. I laughed and laughed and laughed, and that's the whole idea of just that kind of cruising through life, of picking up things that you makes you read. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean, and makes you think. And of course, Mark, Mark, my buddy in Amsterdam, you know what I mean, was pretty, you know, I didn't know what right or left was, you know, anyone re- re- leaving Ireland then would have been probably so right-wing in their thinking, you know what I mean? It would be so <laughs> shocking. <laughs> yeah. So Mark kind of tapered me into this kind of, you know, I always call me, he turned me into a British lefty, <laughs> <laughs> which still is with me today. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I, yeah, yeah, I cannot be anything else. You know what I mean? Really? So people say, what's your policies? I'm a British lefty. Yeah. That's what I am. End story. Honestly. Yeah, uh, that's it, that's where I am. You know what I mean. Yeah. So it's, you know, when you come and have your tin of caviar, don't think there's some little bl- uh, blue Tory sitting in there going, mm, "Enjoy your caviar." <laughs> <laughs> where did you get the money to buy that caviar? <laughs> did you pay your taxes on it? You know. <laughs>
0: So when when you came back, what did you do when you came back from, from Amsterdam and- I I came back into London.
1: I went I went to Ireland for a few months. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. And things had that was good, nineteen eighty seven, eighty seven. Yeah. And things had moved on a bit, but it didn't really move it on. Did you still feel enough. oppressive? I it felt it, yeah, did It did. Yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah, I didn't I didn't hang around long at all. And I came into London and my first job then was in London. I tried to get into a lot of places, which was, it was, it was, if you weren't French, you didn't get into i right. be totally frank in those days. You know what I mean? Really. It was quite difficult. You yeah. know what I mean? People talk, like, you know, Bernard Guam and in the, in the Hyde Carlton Tower. Yeah. You know what I mean? He had a brilliant restaurant up there, but, you know, if you weren't French, you didn't work there, basically. You yeah. know what I mean? Really. And it was, unfortunately, that's the way it was. You know what yeah. I mean? And, uh my first job was in the in the uh Sharon Park Tower with yeah. uh, Peter Kronberg's sous chef who'd taken over. I stayed there for a year with him and then I went to the Meridian Hotel where Michel Laurent from the Cousin Jacques was a consultant chef and I worked in there in the and we had a one star in the Ivy Chef Gamer. And uh, Rory Kennedy was there at that time, who passed away, unfortunately, and there were some
0: great, great people working there. A lot of them working around the world and very successful today. But, but funny, because you sort of said that when you were in Rotterdam, you didn't really want to be working in the big hotel kitchens that you were Yeah, in And yeah, yet, you come back to the UK. Well, believe it or not, all the restaurants in, in London in those
1: days were in the big hotel yeah. kitchens. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? Amsterdam had lots of little places I could I could find work in. Yeah. And Rotterdam, you know what I mean? And, you know, all the good kitchens I wanted to work in was, was yeah. you know what I mean? I tried to get into the souffle. Yeah, Cromberg. Yeah, now, he was fully booked. And then we were, He, I think he's uh, HR, a Yeah, chef. Jack and Meyer had left to go to up, open the Shard Park Tower yeah. uh, 101, the restaurant there underneath. And basically, you know, like a, like any good sous chef, yeah, he's short of staff. You go down there. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I went. And you yeah. know what I mean? You were kind of handed around a little bit, you yeah. know, I mean? which is a good thing because at a certain level, that's what chefs do. Yeah. You'll go work there because you have a certain standard and yeah. whatever. And I, re- I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed working with uh, Jack Maher, to be honest with you. He was a lovely man. But I thought, do my year, get settled, just see my place in London. Yeah. Because accommodation in London was terrible in those days. Yeah. I mean, mo- most rooms had meters. It was Camden Road. It was bedsits, and you know you come from an apartment to a bedsit. Yeah, there's you know what I mean, and I, a part of my head just didn't fit in at all. I just thought, God Almighty, I, you know, and I was getting calls from my old chef and who was in the Noga Hilton, the Tucsar Place, in in, um, in Geneva, yeah. to come work for him, and you know I've been to a stack. You know, yeah. that draw was you know, money was good. Yeah, you know what I mean. I was always broke in London. You know what yeah. I mean. Finding, finding. So what made you stay then? I, you know, I met my wife. You know what I mean, yeah. uh, Maria, and uh, you know my a girlfriend at the time. And you yeah. know what I mean, a lovely girl she is. And you know what I mean. I thought, nah, nah,
0: nah. Yeah, stick with it. This is, let's see how things work out for eighteen months, and let's yeah. see what happens. You know what I mean, really. So, what was the turning point then? What, when did it go from being bedsit and no money? Where was the tipping point? The tipping point was uh, there was no really
1: rush to any tipping point. There was a there was a series of things I wanted to personally go through myself. Right. And restaurants and experiences. And that brought me into my probably my my 27, 28. Yeah. And I wanted to be, you know what I mean, Uh, of a certain level of to, to be able to run something. And then uh, uh, Stephen Bull up in Blanford Street, a place called uh, where Tom Carriage was and all of that. But uh, on the opening of that there was a guy called Tommy Slowy there, which is my best friend from Ireland uh-huh. and he was the head chef there. And uh, Tommy was going off to uh, to Australia, yeah he was only there, maybe he only done eight months or something uh but a great guy, and he was in the souffle that's why I wanted yeah. to work there, you know yeah. what I mean, as you do, yeah, and Tommy was going off to Australia, and then he said, I'll "Come down and meet Stephen, one thing or the other, and I did, and you know what I mean you know it was it was a, it was it was it was a small kitchen, Stephen was very pretty, he knew what he didn't want, he knew what he wanted uh he was kind of in the in the school of alistair Rowley and uh simon yeah he probably was as bright as the whole lot of them put together he made you think for yourself it was the first time i opened a tin of uh um, chickpeas or beans and he said do something with those and i was saying what is that food (laughs) (laughs) and you know he'd whip up a little bit of Kind of reduction of cream, garlic, and parsley, and the and the beans would go into it. And all of a sudden, hey, that's the garnish with the lamb. You know what I mean for tonight. <laughs> and there's only four of you in the kitchen, and uh, you're doing around 90 covers. You know what
0: I mean? It, yeah. was, it was it was bloody one tough graft. But do, do, that time though is also the time when British cuisine suddenly started to speak up for itself. Don't you think?
1: Oh God, yeah. There was only one place uh, Alistair was in you uh Alistair in Soho a little yeah. yeah doing doing a take on Italian food yeah really, you would Roly doing a take on French classical food yeah, and you would Simon you know what I mean really uh, bourgeois Simon I'll be honest with you yeah. next uh, inspector for 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 the uh, for the God one of those guides had opened uh, had moved from South Kensington in eighty six because uh, I watched it, because Jeremy Round done the first day uh, interview, yeah. uh, or interview, or the review in the independent newspaper, and I read it in Amsterdam. Right. So Jeremy had moved from Hilaire to the Bibendum, or not Jeremy, uh, Simon. Yeah, Simon so Hopkins. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, re- I remember reading that whole yeah. opening, the whole thing, and I think that article by Jeremy Round on Simon Hopkins and probably in there that I read in Amsterdam about moving from Hilaire to Bibendum, I think to me that was, a pivotal moment of a chef and a restaurant, an English chef and a restaurant coming together.
0: Right, yeah.
1: That little moment, Yeah. you know what I mean? There was, something happened, you know what I mean? There was, it wasn't just the restaurant anymore, it was the chef and the restaurant. And I think then Raleigh in later, then done uh, uh, Kensington Place. Yeah. And to a kind of a... Slightly different audience, yeah. You mightn't agree with that, but I dined in the mall at the time, yeah. And it was probably much more open, you didn't need a massive checkbook to dine there, yeah. You could go to Sunday lunch and just have a great time, and it didn't cost the, the yeah. world.
0: And just a dropping of, of, of extreme formality as well,
1: absolutely. I think. I think there was certain from in Bibendum Bendham. There was yeah. uh, the wine merchants, and the, I think uh, Jeffers was uh, J- was still doing the wine list. So it was it was it was a, it was a grand dining. Turns Conran, uh, Simon Hopkins, an yeah. fair. Rowley to me really broke the mold. Rowley to me introduced great food to the masses.
0: Yeah. End yeah. of story. Yeah, and I, and that, he, that is he, that big turning point. As we say, that that time felt like we're bloody good at this, and he was. He
1: he used to see the chefs coming in and I keep reminding him. I was we dined there often on Sunday. We didn't have a Bob to our name. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. We could once we paid our digs and travel. That's what people really yeah. you have to understand London. Once you pay just your commuting costs. Yeah. And you know, you, you don't have a lot left. There wasn't yeah. a lot left. There might have been a third left. And, you know, if you went out to a restaurant my God, then a not less less. Yeah. And. Roly has always been incredibly generous, and I remember we were dining there one Sunday. Uh, Those four of us: Tommy Sloey, uh, my wife Maria, probably his girlfriend. And you know, we were, we were just just a bunch of idiots, really. You know what I mean? <laughs> trying to trying to choose the best, cheapest wine on the list. You know,
0: I mean?
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? Really, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Really? Yeah. Could we afford another bottle? Juggling the whole thing. Yeah. And and Roly must have seen this somewhere and, uh, you know, listened to, to, to it and a, bottle, a beautiful bottle of wine came down and a few extra courses came down. And it was the first time I really seen generosity, I'll be honest with you. Apart from Albert Rue, I've never seen, you know yeah. what I mean? roly was a really generous, generous spirit. And I just think what he was doing there was incredible. I think it really did change things. There's no question yeah. about it. I think he is the brightest of them all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Stephen would come in under him. Yeah. Alistair would come next, probably, and then Simon. You know what yeah. I mean. On levels of, I would call just that. You know what I mean. The yeah. intellectual breadth to go yeah. with the knowledge, and it was an incredible time. Yeah, a really, really incredible time to see it and to live it. Yeah, and to go down to Alistair's, uh, you know, go into the basement and have a kind of a of Yeah, for thirty-two quid. I used to say, "You Robin bastard," <laughs> you know what I mean. Boiled meats. I brought up in it in Ireland, and here he is, a guy in London, charging
0: thirty-two quid. For a few mustard fruits and a bit of boiled meat. Oh, my God. All right, we're, we're going to take a, a break from the history to go into our, our little fun bit, really. Um, so, barbecuing. Yeah. Cooking on open flames. Is it is it a Corrigan thing or not? Yeah, it always has been. We've yeah. always cooked
1: an open flame. You know, my dad, we cooked an open flame, cast iron. You know what I mean? You're out fishing. Yeah. You came to the the lakeside, there was an open flame. Yeah, You know what I mean? It was wood, it was a cast iron pan, but you weren't cooking on flame. You weren't cooking on charcoal. Yeah. So it was conduit of heat to get to the pan and the pan was cast iron. And yeah. it always left an indelible feeling on the meat
0: or whatever you cooked in it. Yeah. And so so we do this thing called our barbecue now with five questions. Yeah. So do you do you have a favourite barbecuing outside the cooking moment then that you think you know what, i remember that so well
1: not really i'll be honest with you yeah. not really the, the time for me in a barbecue is really i i need i need at least uh five six people yeah uh, i need uh the weather needs to be right and uh Beer, wine, or a few magnums of something. Uh, and I don't want to be thrown...
0: <laughs> of <a> think- morning. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I don't want to be thrown meat of no substance onto a barbecue or fish of no substance onto a barbecue. Yeah. So the idea to me of a barbecue is once everything comes together, the
0: idea of having a barbecue is very alluring indeed. That's, that, that social side, first Absolutely. stop.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And, and do, do, are you... It sounds like you're quite traditional, the fact that you always want to do it kind of summertime weather's good because it's about that. Yeah. sharing an uh, uh,
1: uh, absolutely I mean you know what I mean I mean you find a few kind of middle class kind of flaky chefs of the millennial sort <laughs> out in the rain lighting a fire and talking Uh-oh. about their love of a wild rabbit you know what I mean I, I mean <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit
0: that back yeah <laughs> Because I always say, as a kind of as, uh, a, as a middle class, well, in fact, I'm, not the I'm, I'm older than you. I love it. I love I, it. I, I'm there sort of thinking I really like barbecue in the winter. Now I feel like a yeah. complete nut tosser. I'm yeah. now, you know, yeah. some, somebody who's in Finland I really value. <laughs> Richard Coroner has just owned me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole idea of a barbecue,
1: I mean, let's be honest, all all barbecues at a certain time in our life have been made of tin. Yeah, Uh, there's been uh, crap charcoal to put in (laughs) them and unseasoned wood to fire them. So Mm -hmm. it never came together for me during my part of my life. Yeah. But now with the great explosion of barbecue out there and metal and and, and everything and they, they look, they really do look like. Yeah, engineered uh, field kitchens. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's what they are today in many yeah. ways. Well,
0: that's it. I mean, you know, they, they. I think the whole thing about kind of people cooking outside, it, that whole thing about their proper ovens, they've got like hobs on the side. <laughs> it's now, it is now an extension of your, of the, your inside kitchen. The it, outdoor it kitchen. Really, really is. I mean, yeah.
1: the idea of an outdoor kitchen in the climate that I was brought up in. Yeah where rheumatism and arthritis ran <laughs> rife through for centuries of my families. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's quite ridiculous. You know what I mean? But the idea of a celebration of, uh, of, of killing your mammoth, you know what I mean? Probably in the past millennia is a completely something else, because it might have been the only thing you're going to eat for a few months. You know, but in, in these days of, of great things to cook, yeah, great food to cook and uh, get togethers of people. I am I am and and of course with Tufton Mulligans we have we have a fire and we have wood burning ovens for the first time really in many yeah. ways and we've taken to it very well you know yeah. what i mean we have taken to it very well And done correctly with the seasoned wood and the right charcoals, it leaves a wonderful flavour on a piece of meat that is absolutely delicious, divine. And it really goes from the outside to the inside. So you can cook something outside to bring inside if the weather isn't really right as well. Yeah. Because it's the flavour of what barbecue does. That's the thing, isn't it? It's the real flavour. We were playing around during lockdown and making the, the American brisket, right? which is a, is is honestly god it's 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 it will break your heart the whole experience oh my god Tell and then you, and then you'd go on to youtube and you'd see this old guy of 90 you yeah. know what i mean really in some place in alabama yeah you know what i mean and this place no offense he's not going to live i don't know how he's lived so long to start <laughs> till 90 because the environment that he's working in, you know what I mean? Really? I mean, you would be closed down so quickly in Europe. You know what I mean? You would not you would have no hope. And there the Netflix making this amazing program. This poor sucker who has really no lungs. Absolutely gasping for oxygen breath at every turn of these, these things. It makes it very alluring. It's almost like, you know, let's let's make his life trendy. The yeah. poor guy has been turning these joints of meat in this absolutely unholy environment. And we wanted we want to go, wow, wouldn't we love to be the pit master?
0: <laughs> Corrigan, you're, an, you're an absolute gem. You are an absolute gem. But it's true. I'm looking there. And that's
1: what we done during lockdown. Yeah. And then we went to try to make that brisket. <laughs>
0: Oh, it's so depressing. Oh, I, it's god, it, it I mean, trying to make it now. So every that. time we do it, it, ends up like a shoe. If, by the way, Simon, totally
1: agree. And then you see them cutting it, and the juices are yeah. being like yeah. the river, like the river, the, the pouring out of it, the, the moisture. How, and is go, <laughs> yeah. how is that happening? How is
0: that happening? You oh, know, like, I go into it and go like, ah, right. I'll just, I'll just get one of the trainers and just have a bite of that instead. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I think that the real timing, you need to, it's a one man's job or one woman's job. Yeah. And you need to be doing it for a couple of days. Yeah. And you have nothing else going on in your life than just checking each piece of that meat, <laughs> turning around the place and gasping for some oxygen on the way through.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> brilliant. Honestly, mate, that is just so brilliant. We do a little challenge. Yeah, right? come on. So what you get is you get 45 seconds oh, to uh, to entertain me. Um, and what you can do, you, it's got to be cooked on a barbecue, any piece of meat, any piece of fish, any bit of edge, yeah. uh, some kind of wrap or marinade, is it wrap, rub or marinade, some kind of side dish. Um, and you can really kind of have whatever you want. Are you good to go? And you've got to sell it to me with your own inimitable yeah, Irish chop. Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's, I'll, uh, tell, I'll tell you right now. Hold oh, no, 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 let on, me, let me do something. You've got four for a starting now. Okay, best
1: thing I've ever done lately in the last few years up in the up in the Pennines, uh, I shot some grouse. Uh, we uh, spatchcocked them. Uh, I seasoned them. Uh, we rubbed them with heather and I barbecued them uh, to medium rare, not raw, medium rare and I rested them and I put some uh, it was some parsnips uh, some sliced buds uh, pre-boiled. We put that onto the barbecue. Uh, there was no sauces. Uh, absolutely, there was a dash of wine that went on the barbecue on the on the grouse after we rested and the meats came out, and we put that over the vegetables. We put it all together mm. and we made up this amazing salad that was absolutely delicious. And I still think after after that experience that grouse cooked, shot fresh, spatchcocked, cooked on a barbecue is the finest piece of wild game. The beautiful method to cook it.
0: 51 seconds, but I had to let you go, and that was beautiful. That's that, lovely. Yeah. yeah and yeah. if you
1: have a bit of jalapeno, jalapeno, or peach to serve with that, I yeah. think honestly, yeah. it is the most delicious
0: thing in the world. And, yeah. and peaches and jalapenos and grouse, it is hallelujah. Now, before we go on, I uh, just want to let you know about a special offer we've got at Weber.com. If you want to improve your skills on the barbecue, Webber are offering you a discount to attend their Grill Academy. That's where you learn to wow your friends with your barbecuing expertise by learning from some serious pros, and they really are, with different courses available to suit your standard and needs. The offer is valid for Grill Academies in the UK. Enter the code GRILLING21, that's GRILLING21, before the 15th of October at Weber.com And get £50 off when you book two tickets on a course. You can find all the information you need at Weber.com forward slash grilling. So when did you open your first place and how did it come about? Okay, uh, very interesting.
1: And this is, by the way, I've never told anyone this before. <laughs> okay. When I left Fulham Road, I was a bit broken, just ex- mentally exhausted. Happens to chefs all the time. Yeah. I put so much into it, got our star ninety five. I, I absolutely, six days a week. Yeah. Went home, home at three in the morning, up at nine in the morning. I mean, honestly, six days a week. Guys, think about it. Two, two and a half years. Yeah. Achieved. Uh, felt we were just on a, you know, we were just in the, in the, in the slipstream of everything going our way. I woke up one morning absolutely broken, absolutely broken. I think one of my children had been born out, Jessica was it or something? I don't know. Honestly, I thought this is my two night buses home, two in the morning. I mean, I had a fuck. And the money wasn't that great, I France Yeah. So when you add everything up in life, yeah. you know what I mean. No matter what, how much success you have, yeah. if you're still broke in the bank at the end of the month, there's something clearly not right. in yeah. in what you're giving and what you're, you know what I mean. That, yeah. I call it the great, the great, the great balance of yeah. the work-life relationship. You know what I mean. You have to earn enough to think, by God, it's well worth doing this. Yeah. And I achieved everything and just ended up completely burnt out. Achieved everything. Yeah. It was almost the pinnacle of a, a certain part of my career getting there. Okay. They, from, from start to 95 was was the goal, you know, we're we're going that way, you know, and after two and a half years of that, I was, I was completely broken. Yeah. So James Harvey Watt was the chairman of Wembley and he was opening a, a stadium in Hackney Dog Stadium and it was a motorbike stadium and he asked me would I consult on the whole project? And I thought, why not? I mean, you know what I mean? Why not? Speedway racing and dog racing? Yeah, why not? Most chefs would run a mile. Yeah, I'm I'm up for I'm up for anything. And I went out there, and we had a great time, and I really enjoyed it. And I met different people, and we had to set up all these kitchens. And Faye Mashler came out to review us on the first opening night, and Sir Terence Conran had opened a huge place here in Seoul Uh on on the same week. And her head headlines and double page in the standard was i will tell you're not the biggest in London," cause it was hackney dog tracks reviewed against uh, Sir Charles's right. place here in town, and it was quite funny, which I never told Faye, but I'll tell you now i i I had a good idea Faye had booked in under you know the name as yeah. you know but come on well, you know yeah. sorry, Faye, but you know we're going to tell the story now, <laughs> and I sent down one of the locals, this wonderful Jamaican woman. And I went down to the dog track and I said, God, give me a winner for tonight and he's Slippy Banana. Yeah. It will win and whatever. And so I told this lady who was the toast and the server, I said, Yeah, I want you to look after Faye's Stable. And she asked for a tip, Slippy Banana. So Faye put her ten or fifteen pounds on the on the on the dog. I think she won a few hundred, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. It paid for a taxi there, a taxi back and for dinner, and she had money left over. <laughs> honestly i mean i mean hey you know so that was hackney dog track and out of that there was a company called searces in london at the time there was an old a very old catering company from the 1800s 1847 you know what i mean really uh a good year for the english a bad year for the irish was when the famine was you know what i mean 184. i remember dates like that you know yeah. the tick things in my head yeah and uh they came to see me, and they, they were had a contract and the barbecue for renewal, and you know it was a, a consultancy call it what you like. Yeah, and I but I don't do consultancy. I I give you my heart and soul. Anything I done, just one hundred total heart and soul. Yeah, and we went in and. And I, yeah, I was consulting you. and of course, the reviewers followed us in and, and we, we, we got a little bit of publicity for the place. And yeah. it was really it was, I mean, Roly always said it was like a, a haystack and a needle in a haystack, you know what I mean? The whole yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. And uh, we done really well. And the owner, the owner Rick at the, at the time said to me, listen, if you find something in London, I'd, I'd like to put some money behind you. Yeah. And this is how this is the tip of life for all young chefs. Now, I think Rick put 150 in or something at the time, and maybe a bit less or a bit more. I forget what the exact figure was, but he was a lovely man even to offer that kind of money. But what were you going to find for 150? So I went off looking for a restaurant and found Lindsay House. Right. And the chap there was a guy called Roger Wren, who had uh, two restaurants in Chelsea and uh, uh, Lindsay House. Yeah. So I sat down with Roger and he was interviewing me for a job as head chef. And I was interviewing him how he was going to sell me the place. (laughs) This is the truth. <laughs> so we'd, we shook hands on the deal. Yeah. That we'd, get, we'd take Rick's money. <laughs> Rick would be the foundation capital <laughs> for Lindsay House. And my part of the capital, <laughs> he would let me uh, pay him five years or something to pay him yeah, yeah. Uh, every every month. or every Yeah, it was every month. I paid yeah. him every month. And I'd done that. And I paid them off. And that's why we would only three or four in the kitchen. That's why, you know, honestly, wow. yeah, everyone talks about Lindsay House. It was a tiny. It was tiny for a bloody reason. We couldn't afford anything else. Yeah. And, you know, the star came after that and all of yeah. that and that. But it was, it was, it was, that was the start. Yeah. And everyone used to come in three floors and everything. And it wasn't three floors. The back room in Lindsay House where we called the chef's table. This yeah. was, chef's tables was kind of new thing in those days. It used to be the rubbish room. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> So the rubbish went underneath the street or across the street and that became the chef's table. (laughs) As you do. And the changing room on the third floor went into the rafters and that became the private dining room. (laughs) <laughs>
0: You're and such a blagger,
1: absolutely. And the farming, <laughs> the farming head in you of making yeah. do and making things happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, and everyone used to come and go. I mean, Gordon. I'll be honest with you. In fairness, Gordon Ramsay, you know what I mean. He used to down there with his crew. You know, very regularly. And yeah, Tom Atkins. You know, it was it was a very chefy, Maddy yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. And. Uh, When we were great, we were great. And probably when we were not so great, we weren't so great. You know what I mean, really? And there was a a late night Soho thing going on and it was it was it was it was mad times. But you know what? It was a fantastic, a fantastic time. Yeah, and it just shows you if you put enough enthusiasm, hard work and graft and optimism into anything, even if it's a tiny townhouse on Romney Street with the drug pushers outside your doors, yeah. which we used to which we used to attack every night. Basically it yeah. used to be fisticuffs every night with the drug pushers on the street. Yeah. Because it used to be on our doors. So after after a year they decided there must be easier streets in London to sell drugs. <laughs> <laughs> or else it was even worse when my my kitchens I would drug rob the drug pushers of their drugs <laughs> I mean then you realized how mad the place was, you know what I mean, and how mad Bromley Street was. And I remember coming in, I used to hassle the the town councillor and the street was a dark street. There was no lights on the yeah. street in those days. And I got the council, local conservative councillor for the whole place. I used to ring him at three in the morning. The French House gave me his number by accident and I used to ring him at three in the morning. And we hassled him to such an extent, lights went up on the street. <laughs> you know what I mean? Honestly, lights went up on the street and I thought, you know, the enthusiasm, the flair, the the, the absolute bonham, the the optimism, yeah. the generosity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Really, the whole thing. I mean, everyone can make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If we can make it, anyone can do it. Yeah. That that's how I'll end it. You know what I mean? It was a mad period. And I remember closing it. When I closed it, I really wanted to close it. It didn't close because of bad business. And uh, the last chef there was uh, uh, um, Walsh, who's now just got a mission star in Singapore and he's three restaurants. Andy Walsh, who's an amazing guy. To be honest with you, Andy's fantastic. Yeah. And Andy Andy was my last chef there. You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah, Andy was the last chef who closed Lindsay. And we we closed it with a party. Yeah. It wasn't losing money. It was making money. But I felt after Andy would leave it, I I do you You've know what I mean? It, I, yeah. my, but it yeah. was, it was a one hundred percent sort of place, Simon. Yeah. And I knew if you didn't give it, it would be a place that would fade off. Yeah. And yeah. fade off and fade yeah, off. Yeah. I wanted it, and exactly what I'd done to it, I just closed it down. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was still doing. Yeah. Uh, I thought no, I will never. I had given Lindsay House so much. Yeah that I could not hear anything said but nice things about it. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't even feel that to be emotionally that involved in a place to realise it wasn't as good
0: as it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. So so now, Bentley's an incredible, incredible place. Corrigan's an incredible place. And then you've got Dandelion as well. So are you... I mean, we were talking before we, we started recording that you're still mischievous in what you do and you've still got that twinkle in your eye yeah, there's still but, more to come from Corrigan but, well know. there
1: is, I mean it was very interesting, seven years ago I, I'd done Virginia Park Lodge in Ireland and, and and we didn't really talk about that it was a mad thing to do because Ireland really post, it was 2012, 2013 Ireland after the whole bust and, and uh, boom and bust of all that kind of uh, cheap banking was in a terrible place and and, and I, I decided I'd, I'd buy the place where I was married and I was always uh-huh. looking at that place, Virginia Park Lodge, Yeah, I could, un. I mean, in most good years, I could never afford it. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. And it was owned by an American education trust for 55 years. So I bought it and it was a mess. It was a complete toilet. And yeah. I'll, I'll openly say that. And I've been at it for seven years. Yeah. So I love a project. I'll be honest with you. I've rebuilt, I've put up the gates. I've rebuilt the gate houses. I'm yeah. on the two boat houses at the moment. I've redone the whole house thirty four thousand square foot of accommodation. I put in twelve shepherds huts from Blackdown. Wow. I brought them over. You yeah, know what I mean? Thanks for it, God, pre-Brexit it'd be twenty percent on them. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jesus. And and I I I look at everything as a year, a year, a year. I'll do that this year. I've, I've done a lot of work this year on, on the on the clamping area outside. And I look at everything as a year, a year's project. I'll finish that. I'll start it and I'll finish it. I'll start it and I'll finish it. Yeah. We bought the pub in the middle of the town, which we turn into six bedrooms right now. Yeah. And I'm turning one side of it into a little folk lounge. And the other side, into a kind of a small lunch bar. You know what I mean, really. Because yeah. drinking in Ireland has changed. People, people don't just the whole idea of finding, finding, finding the right bar and having this great things of Ireland years ago. You might find it down in the coast and areas, but yeah. in rural Ireland, pubs are dying on their feet, like yeah. rural England. No, no, no one, no no one can go out no. for pints like the used to with drink driving yeah, and lots of different. other things And yeah. health, drink driving and everything else. Yeah. It's very, very difficult. Yeah, and. Uh, so basically, that that comes on stream probably in uh, probably just. Uh, uh, dist- I'm trying to get it. I'm going over there at the end of this week to get it, yeah. to get it on stream. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's
1: the terrifying yeah, part Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When they're telling me it can't be yeah. done. I love can't yeah. be done. Could My eye do. can't be yeah. done. Yeah. So I'm going to get that uh, 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 done and sorted. And I have, I'll be honest with you, I have some. Uh, I have someone looking at the the sound system, which probably are in the most coolest folk band probably in the world. Yeah. They're doing the sound system for me. And I don't want to mention their name because, yeah. you know, I will a later this, Yeah. But they are the coolest people yeah. around right now. I mean, BBC Folk Arts of the Year, all I mean, of that. It yeah. sounds like an I, amazing project. I, it is amazing. And Simon, we will have you over Then We will have other people over yes, there. Please. because. It's a project that what do you do with your your cash and your money at the end of the day? Right yeah. now, this is very interesting for most people. Most people look at a bank account like, you know what I mean? And they go, oh, I'm rich, I'm getting rich. Oh, <laughs> I always say to them, find a big goddamn pile. Yeah. Put the effort into making it good again. Plant some trees and hedges. Yeah. Turn mother's earth back into a more healthier place than than you found us. There can be no better enrichment of yourself and everyone around you on the countryside than getting your London wealth and finding a big hole in the countryside and putting it all into. Because at the end of the day, there'll only be rouse, gripes, and the taxman waiting for everything to take from you. Yeah. Don't leave too much hanging around. Leave everyone in a happy state of affairs, but leave things. Use your money-making to do things. I mean, Virginia Park Lodge was in a very bad place, and yeah. a really bad place. I mean, a re- for a beautiful hunting lodge owned by Lord Hedford up to 1960, in the, uh, 1947. An amazing man, believe it or not. You yeah. know? one of the first senators in Ireland in 1922 an extraordinary guy you know won a load of awards the whole planting operations and and all the everything amazing to see it in such a sad state of affairs and you know it's not being romantic you just take a very farmer's approach and you say I'm going to do that I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that and we ended up having one of the most wonderful grow operations in Ireland where absolutely no black bag policy. We have a full hot composting operation going on. My uh, the composting operation is so big that you could just drive machines into it, I'll be honest with you. It wow. really is. It's massive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I yeah. think like a farmer, yeah. Who wants Coming a back silos? To let's buy big silos and put it yeah. all in there. Let's if you're gonna do something, do it of a size that can be done. Yeah. And it has worked brilliantly. We have planted orchards. We have all our fruit orchards. Yeah. We put in a blueberry orchard. We put in a winter garden during lockdown. I've seen more bumblebees and more birds and more everything. And don't tell me, I'm not, I'm not taking any responsibility, but I, I do know if you just care for things a little bit better than we have in the past, yeah. nature and yourself will come together and you morph into exactly where you came from. You end up with the boy from the bog in the little cottage with birds and bees all around you. And that's how the twinkle of your lights will go out. Not sitting in some fucking penthouse in (laughs) New York, thinking, God, wasn't life great, mate? You know, where's the cigar? Huh, Jason, pass me
0: the Champagne Grand Cru. Gordon, how are you? (laughs) You, you. Oh, Listen, we've got one thing we've got to do But that. I mean, that is the most poetic end ever to, to an interview, I think, that I've ever, ever done. And equally in true Corrigan style, he ends up with blasphemy and swearing. <laughs> <laughs> right, we have one last thing to do. Go so on. we ask all of our guests, you, you're going to take me somewhere, Rich. It could yeah. be anywhere in the world. It could be a restaurant. It, it could be a little coffee shop. It could be a farm shop. Somewhere in the world that if you were going to take me, say, Simon, I've got to take <gasps> you here. Where are you taking me?
1: I think I would uh, take you to. Can we make this up, or and uh, has it to be a real place right now? Oh, I tell you what, we can make it up. Yeah,
0: because it's you. I mean, the, I, all, the, I, it's your world. We just live in it, rich. Absolutely. You know there's, there's
1: always a name of a restaurant that yeah. has, that has played on my head forever. It was called Jamais in Dublin. Okay. And it was owned by the Jamais family, and it's where oysters. It was a Bentleys before uh-huh. there was a, there was a Bentleys, but it was probably going. 20 years before Bentleys, 1890s. You know, Bentleys came 1916. And when you say what has made Bentleys, what has happened? Yamais has always been in the back of my mind, this Dublin oyster bar, this amazing place of, of of food coming in on the trains from the countryside. Men and boys and girls at work in the restaurant with long white aprons. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oysters being chucked from all different parts of the British Isles. You know yeah. what I mean? Bottles of nice wine being pulled. That is the environment that I've always wanted Bentleys to be. Yeah. And where I'd like you to be right now with me is sitting in Bentleys Oyster Bar, having a really nice glass of champagne. Going on to a really nice glass of shabbily, having some native oysters. Yeah, number twos. No, not number ones. Number twos. Loch Ryan, Galway Bay, maybe in late November, but Loch Ryan, Rossmore, uh, Colchester, and maybe a few from the Frisian Islands in the Netherlands if we can get our hands on them. Okay. Right, number sixes, right? Absolutely delicious. Because I think that is the most wonderful environment to bring you somewhere, to bring you somewhere that I know I love being myself which is Bentley's and eating food that really, there there isn't an ego in the kitchen telling you about his my latest dish <laughs> my latest dish, my latest creation, you know what I mean aren't you so clever let's have a few <laughs> native oysters that not one chef's fingers has touched uh, open boy oyster nice man flipped, right English style, unlike the French who likes to eat them off the shells. Yeah. You know what I mean? But just flipped. And sitting there, brown bread, salty butter from Lincolnshire, Lincolnshire poacher had been supplying me for 25 years. Right. Good story. Jessica told me, oh, and she's in the PR business. Oh, uh, you use Lincoln as your butcher. And I said, yeah. Oh, Sat Baines is thinking of using them. I said, I've been using them for 25 years, Jessica. (laughs) So when you're the old boy, you find out where all the nice things come from. Yeah. You don't need to be clever. You don't need to be too intelligent. Stick with the seasons. Stay with the nice things. Be consistent and try to be consistent and try to make enough money to pay the landlord your rates your yeah. staff every month and your suppliers and if there's anything left over put it away for the bad year Yeah. and just take a tiny, tiny bit of it yourself to pay yourself and that's how you survive in the restaurant business.
0: Corrigan, I, I love spending time with you. I've spent, every hour I've spent with you in my entire life has always been joyous whether it be a chance encounter or whether it be <laughs> Quaffing just way too much alcohol in a very very short space I of know. time. You you you're a joy to be with, Richard. Thank you so much for doing Grilling. Listen, um, thank and, you very much. And and just you'll be doing a lot of bleeping. Yeah, this will edit down to about twelve minutes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> mate, a joy to see you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great pleasure. Thank you so much to Richard for joining us on Grilling. He a man who knows how to tell a story and also get us into trouble in the same sentence. Now, hopefully we've given you a few ideas as to what's possible in the kitchen and on a Weber barbecue. Head to Weber.com for plenty more recipe ideas from ribeye steaks with blue cheese and chive butter to asparagus, tomato and feta frittatas. And don't forget, check out that £50 discount to the Grill Academies at Weber.com forward slash grilling. Do review, rate and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and tell your friends about us too if you like what you hear. Grilling was brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues and is an off-script production produced by Ben Backhouse and executive producer Zach Brown.